Welcome to the July 2021 edition of the Energy Podcast with Chris Smith and Lars Weber. Good morning, everyone. It's Chris Smith here, Chief Commercial Officer from the Renewal Exchange, and I'm joined as ever by... Hi there, this is Lars Weber, partner from Uptisil Commodities. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very well, Lars. A bit cold, a bit wet, but very happy with the Olympic success of Team GB. Go Team GB. Well, Lars, thank you for joining me. Um, and as, as ever, good to, good to do a podcast. Um, been a few months. And what we're going to talk about today is interconnectors. And yep. I really, I've shared a bit of stuff on interconnectors. Um, and it's got a lot of traction, so it feels like something of interest. And I guess, Lars, from your perspective, you've been trading interconnectors as long as I can remember and doing a lot of work around that. Yeah, so I've started uh, trading on the interconnectors since 2010 and uh, actually... Back when, back when we were with Mayers, even before we started uh, working in the UK. And now uh, it's actually a really interesting topic again, especially since the, since the Brexit, because the market has changed due to that. And um, I think it would be good to just you know, go from the start about what is, the, what is an interconnector, how does it work, and how does it impact uh, the power market? That's good. Yeah, I think so. I, I guess so, yeah. An interconnector essentially is a, a physical cable between two countries. So and the UK has a number of interconnectors at the moment, and they're building... Yeah. Their plans to build a Norwegian, the Danish, and a German interconnector. Um, so, in terms of our capacity, it's growing exponentially. And I've read, I've read somewhere uh, recently because of the offshore wind being built, potentially we can have 17 gig of interconnectors in the UK. But I guess the question really is, Lars, why, why, why do we need all this interconnection? To, to <laughs> yeah, well, what's the, what's the point? What's the, yeah. Actually, and they're not cheap. Let's let's remember yeah. they're not cheap. Yeah. So what what happens is that. Um, the more renewables you have, the more intermittency you, you get within, within any market. So as you know, in the UK, if it's windy, there's a lot of power and sometimes now even too much power. So sometimes uh, wind farms have to turn off. And if there's no wind, um, we could get in a bit of a trouble if sometimes uh, if, if all wind turbines at the same time would not work. Now, that doesn't happen only in the UK. That happens in every country. But it is very unlikely that there is no wind in the UK and everywhere in the continent and an island at the same time. So what you get is interconnected. So the, the country where there is the most wind will send power to the countries where there is the least wind. And that means that uh, we can help each other out. Um, now, that, that sounds like, like um, charity. It's definitely not charity. Um, what basically happens is that the country where the most amount of renewables, the most amount of excess electricity is, there, that's where the price goes the lowest. And there where the, the least amount of renewables is, you need the most amount of fossil fuel. So that's where the price goes up. And the interconnector is uh, connecting the country with the lowest power price with the country with the highest power price and sends power that way. So essentially, yeah. It taking that principle through lots of offshore wind in the UK and yeah, lots of offshore, not just UK across across you know, areas have access and also you know, it's obviously very prevalent. So it, it's kind of a good thing. The more wind, it's going to displace traditional fossil fuel from the mix um, and bring in low carbon fuel to, to those, those countries. So I guess that's a kind of positive thing from a sustainability aspect. Exactly, but it's also even for for, for the just the income of the wind turbine manufacturers. So if you would expect there would be no interconnectors in the UK and it would be windy, then quite a lot of the wind farms have to shut down. Yes. But there's just too much power. But because there are interconnectors, um, the UK can say, okay, listen, we've got way too much power. And if there is, for example, in Denmark or in Holland or in France, 
at the same time not so much wind, then they will say, oh, please give us that power. Um, that, that creates two things. The power price in Holland will go down and the power price in the UK will go up because you will get, uh, uh, you have more uh, demand for electricity. And the, the power will move and move and move until those two prices match. And that, I guess that's the positive as well, Lasko. I guess so, you know, a lot of these offshore wind parks being built by CFDs and there's a lot of talk around, I guess, A, the price those CFDs are going to clear out. And I guess from my perspective from a PPA world is like how big those discounts are going to be on those PPAs from off takers. Because, you know, we're starting to see in the UK some bigger discounts on wind and people being less comfortable about doing fixed price. So I guess from a purely kind of UK PLC point of view, if it's going to hold the price up, it means the draw potentially on the CFD pot is going to be less um, because the price we have. So potentially there'll be a case where the project has to be paying back from um, taking out. And I guess also if there's less risk of curtailment, less kind of, you know, more certainty in the market, there'll be you know, continuous use of that power that will then reduce the imbalance risk on those projects. I don't know if I'm jumping to, to assumptions there, but that would seem... No, 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 no. You're exactly right. And um, it is not only the for, for UK PLC a good thing, it's also for... Um, the individual farms, which are, for example, built as merchant farms, because they uh, they would come into a real trouble if the power price would drop to zero every time there would be a bit of wind. But because you have interconnectors, and the more interconnectors you have, um, the price will not drop to zero, but will drop maybe a little bit, but will still go to the other countries where they probably will not have wind in a low and a large amount at the same time. And, and I, guess, I guess so. That's in a kind of the perfect scenario lots of wind in the uk not so much wind in europe and then vice versa we can send power either way mm -hmm. i guess what we spoke about before we came on the call was yesterday mm -hmm. there was a bit of a situation where there was lots of wind everywhere it was quite low temperature um so that yeah. that created a market um situation particularly in belgium um so maybe we could talk a bit yeah about yeah so what happened yesterday was um we we sadly have a bit of a great day as you as you mentioned already it is no longer very warm so the power consumption has started to go down a little bit for everywhere in europe not only in the uk i'm also no longer wearing shorts and the because of the because of the lower consumption the the uh, you don't have you have lower power prices at the same time because we go a bit of a of a, of a gray spell there's a lot of wind everywhere so therefore you have a lot of renewable generation and the power cannot go anywhere anymore. And what you get then is, a, is, a, is a basically a game of who starts to turn, turn off first. Now, if you are in the UK and you get, for example, let's say 20 or 30 pounds of, of subsidies, then you would like to generate at minus 10, price, at a power price of minus 10, you still want to generate because yes, you pay 10 for getting rid of your power, but you get 25 for subsidies. So net, you still make a profit. But the person who has the least amount of subsidies, let's say in this case, it was Belgium, where they only had uh, 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 12 to 15 euros of subsidies. Then they'll say, okay, as soon as the price hits minus, 10, uh, uh, minus 12 euros, then we will stop because at that point in time, it will no longer make sense for us to produce. And then that means that then the Belgian uh, wind farms shut down first and the UK ones can still produce. Excellent. So, so I suppose there's, yeah, so that dynamic essentially. So lowest subsidy shuts down first. And I guess in terms of vice versa, when there's kind of a, a shortage of wind, effectively the market will pay the highest price. Gets Exactly. Gets and get. what you, what, yeah, so dream scenario is, of course, that you have, for example, in the UK, too little wind and you have en enough wind in, in, in Europe to, to, support, to support also the UK. And then the prices don't rise as high in the UK. In the case that you wouldn't have 
power anywhere, what you get then is that people start to bid up against each other to see who would like to pay the most for electricity. So it, yes, it is still expensive to be in the, to be, to, to uh, receive power for the UK, but because you also have generation assets in France and in Belgium who say, I'm willing to produce at a price, which potentially could be lower than the UK price, it would not be as high as it would be without the interconnector. Excellent. And I suppose that was one of the points that we we picked up before we came on the call was that there's there's essentially, you know, I was sort of saying, well, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of infrastructure, there's a lot of risk here, you know, essentially the UK, I guess I'm always looking for a UK, so it's building always offshore wind, building always in connectors, there's going to be a lot of cost here um, for these these assets that's so going to kind of sit on you know, balance sheets and people building this infrastructure. Yeah. But I suppose the point is, if you don't do this, you're if in you a- don't do this, yeah. you have an even worse situation because then you're just exposed to no choice. An yep. interconnector at least gives you the choice of buying between two different markets. No interconnector means no choice, which gives you a much higher risk, especially a risk of blackout. And as you know, uh, from the uh, loss of load probability calculation, the LOP, as it's yep. called, um, <laughs> then a megawatt hour costs £6,000. Uh, £6, um, you really want to avoid that large price. So even if you can bring down the cost, the the, the if you can bring down the uh, the, the chance of, of blackouts only by half, um, it would still make sense to build these interconnectors. Okay, and I guess yeah, as, as your your company is a trading entity. Um, so what what yeah what what's the what's the options or the possibilities for traders? What does this kind of open up? Lots of interconnection and lots of renewables. Uh, so you have you have two types of, of of ways of how interconnectors work. You have one way which is called market coupling. In the, in the case of market coupling, um, the, the cable is not being utilized by any single trader, but it is used by the market directly to, uh, uh, to automatically move power to the most, from the cheapest one to the most expensive one. An example of this is, for example, the, um, the interconnectors between um, the UK and Ireland. They are still market coupled. So that basically means that um, nobody can reserve capacity on the cables. But the, the markets for the UK and Ireland will clear at the same time. And then the interconnector will simply look at, okay, Ireland was a slightly higher price, therefore I move all my power to Ireland. Or the UK was a slightly higher price, so I move all my power to the UK. And no trader can gain or lose money from that, from that transaction. But what it does do is that it creates a lot more liquidity and a lot more options to the market as a whole. Um, in the case of the, of the interconnectors between the UK and the continent, you have, uh, it is not market. So that means that traders themselves can buy capacity and they have to pay for that capacity. And they have to hope that the price difference between the two countries is more than what they paid for the capacity. And of course, that they bought the capacity in the right direction. So for, as an example, let's just say, let's say that, I, that I, I'm willing to buy capacity for tomorrow from France to the UK, and I'm willing to pay 10 quid for that, then I can make money if the price difference between France and the UK is more than 10 pounds, and the UK is also, is the one which is the more expensive one than France. Then I've paid 10 pounds, and I'm gaining potentially 12, 15, 20 pounds if that is the price difference. However, if the price difference is lower, or even in the worst case, France is more expensive, not only have I lost money if France is more expensive, I've lost the money on my capacity, 
And because I'm sending power the wrong way, I also have to pay the price difference the wrong way. Yeah. So it is not something that you just you know, get sleepingly rich. You have to be really, really, really careful in how you purchase those, those capacities. But I, I suppose the from the on the flip side is it there's a risk there but from a kind of a, a business opportunity there is a there's a potential revenue to be earned if you if you can calculate the right direction and get your, your capacity payments right which in itself should create efficient market where people where they're incentivized to effectively you know buy and sell power in an efficient way as a the profitable way and i guess that will as more connection comes online we'll probably see that kind of evolve over over time yeah I, so you can discuss if if, if market coupling is maybe the best solution because it is always in the right way and it is always the most efficient solution per definition because of the marketing and each other. And actually, I I believe that that is the way it, it will move forward. Okay. Um, right now, we are in a, in a, in a temporary situ- situation where between the UK and continental Europe, we have this, this old system again. So um, if, when the UK was part of the European Union, there was market coupling between the UK and the continent. Because, because of the, the Brexit, that agreement no longer exists. So therefore, we have to, we as a trader have an opportunity to buy capacity, yeah. but also the risk. This is very likely to not be for a very long time because all the regulators agree that market coupling is actually a more efficient way of, of utilizing the cable. And um, as I understand it, there are already talks in seeing how can we reintroduce market coupling between a between the European Union and a non-member state, um, and because that is something that wasn't there before, you have to make new agreements, and that takes a while. Yes, yeah, it will, okay. come. It will come. Yeah. So it feels like this, this the situation moment is a temporary thing, and a market coming mm-hmm. from the, the way. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the last point to really c- c- um, close off ours is the kind of, I guess you know, this, this potential. You know, could there be a redundant interconnector? We have so much interconnection being built. You have kind of a, essentially a cable wafting around in the sea, not really doing very much but i think your thoughts are that's you know i guess where where we're at at the moment in terms of build you know renewable builds to get that's unlikely is that would that be fair to yeah, yeah you're, you're you're perfectly right there so an interconnector has no so assuming that an interconnector has market coupling that then it is per definition used in the most efficient way the only time that it is not used is if the prices are exactly the same because then the cable doesn't know if it should go one way or the other because yeah. they are the same price now that's could, that would only happen if there was exactly the same amount of renewables in both countries and exactly the same amount of, of thermal generation in both countries. And the more and more renewables you get, the less and less likely this is going to happen. Because um, and as, as, as I've learned from, from very, very good meteorologists, um, a storm front moves over the countries one by one. I mean, it isn't, it isn't windy in all of the UK at the same time. It doesn't rain in all of the UK at exactly the same time because it moves. So what is very likely to happen is that you get a lot of wind in the Britain Island, then in the UK, then on the continent if you have a Western wind. And the more renewables we have, the more cables we actually would like to have because it will it helps both sides. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess to probably summing things up, Lars, in terms of what we're talking about, you know, interconnection. I think it's it's very interesting. I think yeah, from our conversation, it's just a very interesting area, isn't it, in terms of how and how that will shape the kind of the European energy market so it's almost a bit like we've we've kind of left but now we've come in we're coming back in with more cables connecting the uk back to back to europe um tonight and i guess because it's this is big infrastructure that takes a long time to build we're not really going to see this come to reality for for many years i think that's probably a fair thing to, to... absolutely um but we are seeing that it, that it will become more and i i personally believe that it is a good thing 
because it, it will it will smooth out both the UK market and the continental European market. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think anything that creates efficiency in markets, such yeah. as coupling, that's got to be a, a good thing for everyone in, in terms of you know, a, a achieving our aims of a low carbon future, but also you know, making sure we don't have assets that are being turned down frequently and are being being utilised. So, yeah, so great. Lars, thank you as ever. Um, and thank you, Chris. No worries, and we'll speak soon. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It's been uh, much appreciated as ever. Thank you for listening to the Energy Podcast. Remember to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and to tune in for the next instalment of the podcast.